Welcome to Where's Home Really with me, Jimmy Famarewa, a podcast where I get to ask guests from the worlds of food, comedy, TV and entertainment about the culture that has created them. I want to know about their heritage and how it has influenced them, how their family background and environment has shaped their outlook. And of course, I want to know where they consider home to really be. We'll be finding out about that sense of home by asking them about four key elements. Those are a person, a place, a phrase, and a plate. Now for me, one of these, and if I lock in on a plate or a taste, would be carnation condensed milk. It's such a weird thing, but it really is just kind of a weird part of my childhood. I think that Nigerian side, like we were used to coming from a climate where you do not have fresh milk. And so carnation condensed milk with its kind of almost, you know, tooth judderingly sweet taste in a cup of tea is complete nostalgia to me. And uh, if I ever kind of encounter it, I'm immediately back in my youth and in the 80s when uh, we didn't mind how sweet things were. But that's me and enough about me. Let's find out a little bit more about today's guest. My best friend at school supported Liverpool, as most kids did in the 80s, because they were absolutely phenomenal. And the overriding factor that kind of drew me in was John Barnes. Of Jamaican heritage, my dad's Jamaican, and he was just an absolute phenomenal player at the time. And somebody that looked like me. Today's guest is a DJ and presenter. You might recognise him from your TV, most recently from his turn on the Strictly Come Dancing Christmas special, but most probably you've heard him on the radio. For Kiss, initially, but these days almost certainly on BBC Radio 1, where he can be found most mid-mornings during the week, or on the Football as Football podcast, where he gets to talk about his other main love, football, with Premier League players Callum Wilson and Mikhail Antonio. Born in Croydon and of Jamaican heritage, he is very much a Londoner, although his choice of football team might suggest otherwise. We'll come to that, I'm sure, but let me start by welcoming him to the show, Ricky Hayward-Williams. Hello. Jimmy, how are you, my friends? How are you doing? Listen, it's always an experience when you're kind of doing an intro about somebody who is adept at introing people, uh, feeling the pressure. No, listen, Jimmy, have you listened to any of my shows? Trust me, that was absolutely <laughs> phenomenal. Levels that I can only oh, dream about reaching, my friend. He did listen, it exquisitely. Thank you. He can stay already. He's already my favourite guest. Thank you for joining me, man. I always start straight away by almost throwing the show title back to the guest. What is your first response when I say, where's home really to you? When I think of that question, initially... The first thing that comes to mind is the area that I was born and raised in. It was the area in southeast London. It's Croydon. My grandmother and my grandfather came here as part of the Windrush generation in the in the 60s. I've got so many amazing memories of listening to my gran specifically talk about, you know, when she first came over. <laughs> Not so much my granddad. I think my granddad wanted to come to the UK, make as much money as possible and go back to the Caribbean. My dad's side, they were from Jamaica. But I think the bigger part of my story is more on, on my on my mum's side. They were from St. Vincent. And my grandmother was just an amazing woman. She had completely different ideas to my grandfather that she didn't tell him about when they were kind of like, you know, uh, deciding what they were going to do with the rest of their life. They already had a lot of children when they came to the UK. They were married for, you know, 10, 15 years and they had 
I think at the time, I think they had seven children. My mum is, is one of four sisters and I have six uncles. So my family is absolutely huge. So my grandfather was like, right, let's go to the UK. Let's make as much money as possible. And then let's go back to the Caribbean, buy some land, make a bigger house and live happily ever after. My grandmother, on the other hand, was of the disposition that she wanted to come to the UK and, and stay <laughs> and, and set up home here. She kept it really quiet, Jimmy. She did let him know and when it was time to go back they had this conversation and she said look I, I i don't want to go back what i want to do is bring all of the children to the uk he was saying you know you're crazy that's going to cost an absolute fortune it's going to take so much time to get everybody over they're expecting us back we can't do this but she did it anyway she kind of like <laughs> she overruled him and she did it anyway she actually got a mortgage kind of in in process behind his back up until the moment that she had to sign his signature because in, in those days I think you needed the man of the house's signature to actually get a house and my grandmother <laughs> god rest her soul she died like last year she actually forged his signature to get a mortgage <laughs> can you can you believe that Jimmy she forged his <laughs> signature and when he found out he hit the absolute roof as you can imagine um but then then it was done then it was done and <laughs> yeah. she started the process a, a woman a woman of vision and a woman yeah. of, sort of boldness she knew what she wanted she knew what needed to happen and i love that right away you've clearly got such an understanding of where you come from i mentioned in the intro that you are a proud londoner so i think i know what your choice of place is going to be but why don't you tell me jimmy unequivocally 100% my place has to be the southeast london borough of croydon i was lucky enough to live in lots of different parts of croydon as i was growing up so we started out in west side of croydon then we kind of moved to central croydon then we ended up in south croydon which is where i went to secondary school and uh, my college was there as well i feel like croydon is completely my home because i've 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 got experiences in every different part of it i remember going to church like with my with my grandmother and my uncles and aunties when i was like really 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 young and they would all be members of different churches so we would go to one in norwood junction which is towards like the top end of Croydon, North Croydon, and then like some in South Croydon with my gran. And so I had all of these different experiences and I went to school in different areas as well in Croydon. When I think of South London and I think about myself solely, Croydon is home. It's home. It's, it's where I've experienced so many different things, school, growing up, you know, playing for my local football team, you know, then then going out with your friends in central Croydon. It's it's really funny because obviously Croydon now is is a very, very different place to what Croydon was when I was growing up in the in in the eighties and nineties. When my grandmother first came and she told me stories about Croydon when she first came to the UK, it was a very conservative, very white, working class slash middle class to, to, to the back end towards, more towards Surrey. And then as time has gone on, it's, it's very, it's changed a lot. There was a lot of different cultures that kind of like came, came to Croydon and, and made their way in Croydon, which I, I absolutely loved when I was growing up. I used to love the, the melting pot, especially musically, the melting pot of, of people that used to go out and all the different people that I used to see. I remember once when I was, I must have been about, I was quite old, must have been about 25. And I took my dad to the opening of a new bar. I think I was working at Choice FM at the time and the old Choice FM. And they gave me this, that, this VIP pass to this new bar. So I was like, dad, I've got my brothers to go, to go with me. And my dad has come along and he was just like, 
I'm so blown away by all the different cultures that are just here in this bar that are all partying together and getting along. And it, it's just, it's absolutely normal. And I was like, dad, what, what do you mean? This is just what it's like when we go out. And he was like, when I was younger, going out in Croydon or surrounding areas, it was very different. Like we would go out and even, even amongst the black community, there was very different factions. You were either into reggae and you would hang out with the reggae people or you'd go out with the soul people and the rare groove people. So it was very different. And mixing wasn't so, wasn't so commonplace. He was not jealous, but he was blown away by how much integration and diversity that there was. And I, I took that for granted up until quite an, an old age. Yeah, that's fantastic to to kind of have that opportunity to see it through other people's eyes, because I think there is a lot of that that we take for granted if we live in cities like London. I touched on it in the intro, but obviously, and this is really fascinating to me, you mentioned playing football and footballers will come on to is clearly a real passion of yours as it is of mine. Who did you end up supporting and why? So I have a vivid memory of driving past Selhurst Park with my uncle, my uncle Jerry. I must have been about three driving past the park end towards the Holmesdale Road. And I said, uncle, what's that? And he said to me, oh, that's Crystal Palace football team, but don't support them. They're rubbish. <laughs> and that that was the team in our community. Like Crystal Palace, Sellers Park is literally a stone's throw away from so many of, of places that I've lived or frequented or gone to school at. It was, it was the hub of our community. And growing up, a lot of my friends... Uh, who were much better at football than me, were at the Crystal Palace Academy. So would would go there. So Crystal Palace football team has always been has been has held a close place to my heart. But when I got into football, I had that memory of my uncle saying, don't support them, they're rubbish. And my best friend at school supported Liverpool, as most a lot of kids did in the 80s, because they were absolutely phenomenal. But my best mate supported them. And the overriding factor that kind of, you know, drew me in was John Barnes of Jamaican heritage. My dad's Jamaican and he was just an absolute phenomenal player at the time and somebody that looks like me. We're talking about football and, and upbringing and the things that have made you who you were, that surrounding environment. And I want to get onto phrases and like words and things that might have shaped you and might kind of for you just really encapsulate what home is. What have you gone for as your phrase? So I've gone for the phrase, you smashed it. We used to use this phrase all the time during secondary school. And it, it was a term of endearment. It was a term of you absolutely have like exceeded expectation with whatever, whatever you were using it for. And I, I remember it was just part of our vernacular. And then years later, I saw Cheryl Cole use the same phrase on the X Factor for one of the acts. And then I feel like now it's become completely mainstream. And whenever I hear it, I'm like, I used to say that like back in the 90s with a small group of friends. And now I hear my producers at work saying it who are from like, you know, Middle England and Oxfordshire and do you know what I mean? And Wales. And it's so crazy to hear people say that now because that is a phrase that was so close to our hearts and felt like we were the only ones using it at the time. Clearly for you, it's a phrase that is nostalgic and uh, affirming and reminds you of kind of the people that you grew up with and in your friendship groups. Yeah, ab absolutely. I, I hold it really dear to my heart because it was around the time when you're creating bonds for life, as it were, and, and trends that you're going to use for the rest of your life as well. 
You wanted to entertain, you wanted to be a communicator, you wanted to be a broadcaster. And I think that can be a world in which you kind of almost need to be this blank slate in the traditional interpretation of it. You need to be this neutral, you know, we have received pronunciation and ways of speaking and, you know, it's quite vulnerable and exposing. So how did that translate in terms of code switching and what was the kind of the early move into broadcasting and wanting that career like? So... I initially thought about, from quite early on, I think my mom, I had, my mum used to have conversations with me quite early, like from eight, nine years old. What do you want to be when you get older? What would you like to do? What, what do you, what do you love at school? What, what are you most interested in? And I used to always say, okay, I, I'm terrible at maths, mum. You know, I don't like maths. I, I, she was like, okay. So she was like, okay, that's fine. She said, you're going to need maths, but it's fine if you don't want to do anything to do with maths. What do you enjoy? And my thing was English. I used to really enjoy English and I used to really enjoy sports. So I had a natural ability at sport. That came quite easy to me, but I didn't want to do something that was easy. I wanted to do something that I was just really passionate about. And it started out with English. I used to really love writing stories, like short stories and poems. And I, as I got a bit older, I, you know, I, I dabbled with you know, with lyricism and rapping and emceeing on garage music. I dabbled with all of that. I, I, I loved words and just, you know, the connection that we can have with words. And that led me towards journalism. And then when I got to the Brit school, I did a course called Broadcast Journalism and A-Level Media. And within the A-Level Media course, we had a radio studio and we were, the radio studio was basically our hub. That was our form class. So every morning, every lunchtime, after school, that's where we were. It just came naturally. It wasn't something that I went, I want to be on the radio, but we were, we were around it so much. So that's how the radio thing happened. And then when I left Brits, I went to university in Luton. That's where I met Melvin one of my best friends and one of my co-presenters. And when we met, everything just exploded. It just snowballed from there. And it, it wasn't like we were trying to, to make it happen. It just flowed and it just happened so organically, which is why I love our story so much. It's an amazing thing, amazing journey that you've both been on as a duo. I've seen you call him the ant to your deck or the other way around, but it was it was kind of like that. And I just wonder, what has that been like? As um, you're clearly so close working as a duo and also, you know, being too black men, you know, he's African heritage, your Caribbean heritage, moving through that together. Like, what was it like initially, like kind of being this kind of duo and being this kind of package? So the funny thing about myself and Melvin is people, we're a bit like an iceberg. So people see the top of the iceberg, but they, they never see the, the bottom. And the bottom, the reality is that we are two of six. So when we went to university, we formed this, this friendship group and there were six of us in total. And so there's myself, there's Damien, uh, we're both of Caribbean heritage and the other four are of, uh, West African heritage. So you've got, you've got Russell, who's from Ghana, Charles, who's from Ghana and Senegal. And then you've got Leroy, who's from Nigeria. So Leroy, who I was really close with, he was from Manchester. So just, just hearing his experience and seeing a black guy of the same age as you that speaks in a Mancunian accent that's from Hume in Manchester and talks about Moss Side and it, it was absolutely crazy, but such a great experience to have. But knowing that even though we were from completely different parts of the UK, we still had really similar experiences. And I was really grateful for the fact that 
I met those guys because it, it helped me to understand them as West Africans and their heritage and learning about the things that my parents didn't know about. Because I think there was, there was a period of time where being West Indian and being African, there was a little bit of a divide at some point where it wasn't as unified as it is now. I never really questioned it, but I didn't really understand it. And then when I went to university and I got to experience, you know, I call them my brothers from another mother's. Like when I, when I got to experience them and I was like, we are the same. Welcome back to Where's Home Really with me, Jimmy Famarewa, and my guest, Ricky Hayward-Williams. Hey, Jimmy, how you doing, man? In terms of your person, just on the family and friends, there's there's a lot of candidates already, but um, I'm wondering who you're going to go for. You've got a lot of people to choose from, a lot of people that have clearly shaped you and moulded you in different ways, And uh, but who are you going to go for as your person? I would say my mum, simply because... When I think of home and I think of everything that that encapsulates, my mum is central to that. Closely followed by my grandmother. Um, I spent a lot of time with my gran, like, like most black children do, and I, I loved her to death. She was so influential on, especially my early years of life, whether that was spiritually or in re with regards to discipline, ambition. She was very central to a lot of those of my core beliefs. My mum carried that on and my mum was the link between, I call it the Old Testament and the New Testament. So my gran is the Old Testament and the link back to the Caribbean, but my mum is the link to the New Testament and, and my life here as a black person from the Caribbean and trying to navigate that landscape in the, in the UK. She would let me know the pitfalls that could happen in life. And she would let me know about, you know, the prejudices and, you know, racism that you, that we might encounter. She would let me know about the hardships that we might, a lot of the yeah, trauma, yeah, I'll be yeah, honest, yeah, Jimmy, yeah, a lot of the trauma yeah, that, that, yeah. that, that the family are kind yeah. of like experienced. That, they yeah. don't, they don't sugarcoat it, do they? These, uh, <laughs> these, these matriarchs in like uh, Caribbean and West African families, like they do not, or immigrant, immigrant parents of all types, they do not really, they do not soft soap it, do they? They don't, they don't. And I've heard it called in recent times, I, I watch a show with my daughter, it's called Blackish. I don't know if you're, you're aware of it. There's about eight seasons worth of it. And it's based in America, it's based around a black family. They're all of different complexions and different personalities, but they, they cover so many lessons that we can take as as people as black people as white people as non-black people from that show and I, I i took a lot of time to watch it with my daughter quite a lot because of all the lessons that are, are packed within it i think it's perfect that you picked your mum and i think also that you mentioned your grandma as well because i think having that link to the old testament as you so amazingly put it and what you know, what your life was like, what you come from, the culture that shaped you in terms of the Caribbean and life there is so important. But I think it's also really important, the realities of of all that we know, which is life in, in, in the UK and life in diaspora and life in our adoptive countries. And I think having both those sides is so vitally important. So for you, what kind of things are the things that you're sort of looking to to uphold and what things are you looking to maybe let go? Discipline is one of them. Um, I feel like you need it, but, but 
not necessarily administered in the same way. So I still have the values that my parents instilled in me, you know, respect and manners and, you know, all of those things, which I, you know, they they always taught me, you know, manners are free. There's no cost to be polite. There's no cost to treat others the, the way that you would expect to be treated yourself. So these are things that I, I, I try to be kind. These are things that I try to instill because they're, they're so easy to do and it makes such a difference. And being the eldest of four boys, I feel like I had to, I was always praised when I was polite. I was always praised when I was, you know, good and things like that. So those things mean a lot to me. I, I just can't help it. I just can't help it. Let's lock in on your plate then. What have you gone for? Um, what place does food have in, in terms of you um, really kind of cementing what home means? You all know this, Jimmy, but food, the food is so important. It can just transport you back to your happy place. <laughs> do, you, do you know what I mean? I remember going away, being away at university for three years. I only went for three years, but I was there for three years. And those three years, if I ever went home, the best gift my mother could give me was a Tupperware of Sunday dinner to take back to university to eat over the next few days. Uh, it, it was just the best feeling ever. And all of my friends had the same thing. If we had food from home, we were happy. We, we were happy. The plate itself for me, so my mum's Sunday dinner would consist of rice and peas. It's rice, it's it's kidney beans, kind of like all kind of like done in a, in a big pot. And she would normally do, you know, chicken, it, like roast chicken with like amazing gravy. You would have vegetables. So you'd have like Brussels sprouts and you'd have runner beans and you'd have like all of these amazing vegetables, but you'd also have like the macaroni cheese there as well. Macaroni cheese is, I, I don't know how many people realize that, you know, it is almost like its own religion within like, you know, the Caribbean, especially like Jamaican like culture and stuff. Like it's, it's its own thing, right? I grew up thinking mac and cheese was like from the Caribbean. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I remember when I realized that it was like, it's more of an Italian dish. I was like, like what? <laughs> what? What do you mean? <laughs> I love that. I love that so much. Like, I love the choice of a Sunday roast, your mum's like Sunday dinner. And I love the thought of of you and your friends, you know, um, Melvin and your, the rest of your sort of your friendship group, bringing that piece of home with you to this kind of to this new environment and all joining together and all bringing a part of yourselves is a beautiful thing. I want to talk about about work and your career. And we mentioned Strictly Come Dancing right at the top. Like I watched that Christmas episode with my entire family. I loved it. I thought you did brilliantly. I could almost see the kind of the nerves or the, you know, that you were kind of mentally trying to get hold of your agent, like kind of midway through when you're all spandexed up. How, how did you find it? And, and how has the aftermath been? Because it's such a hugely watched thing that it must be crazy, right? It's a phenomenal show and it's just an absolute monster of a machine. Funny enough, Jimmy, I, I always said, I'm not a dancer. If you know Melvin, you know Melvin is like, he is the life and soul of the party. He won the Christmas special. So uh, he actually, he did the main show and he was, he was voted off first. He was robbed though. It was a controversial decision, right? So then he gets invited back to do the Christmas special and he wins the show. He never shuts up about it. He never shuts up about it. And rightly so, rightly so. So I then said, look, I, I'm not, I'm not a much of a dancer. I, I can dance. I've got rhythm. But I'm not, I'm not known for being a dancer. So I would never do that show. However, when Strictly Come Dancing come knocking, 
it changes everything. <laughs> you can't turn it down. You cannot turn it down. And I thought to myself, a couple of years ago, I, just, I remember saying, I'm just going to stop. I'm just going to start saying yes to everything. I think it was the, the, the COVID situation and just how, how everything shrunk so quickly and opportunities weren't there anymore. In, in our industry, it was, it was how do we, how do we do TV shows now? Because obviously you can't go out and you've got to do a radio show on Zoom and you've got, to, you can't, you can't interact with people and there's a, a delay on the line and th- it, it was all just really weird. And then as we were coming out of that, I remember thinking, do you know what? We're so lucky to be doing what we're doing. I'm so lucky to be, do- to be doing what I'm doing. I'm just going to try my best to say yes to absolutely everything and just see what happens. Just see what happens. And I've, I've done that. I've tried to do that. And it's, it's a, it's a great way to live. Obviously, you can't say yes to everything, obviously, you know, for scheduling or for whatever the reason. But if you can kind of live to that mantra and try your best, so many good, so many good things happen. And I've had so many great things happen to me over the last couple of years. Having done a reality show and having thought about it beforehand and had rules about which ones you would and wouldn't do, are there any others that you would do and that you'd consider? Oh my gosh. Do you know what? I don't think I could ever do I'm a celebrity. There's always a, there's always a conversation. There's always like a, you're always one phone call away from, you know, getting a meeting on that show. But I snore so loudly, right? <laughs> Sometimes I snore so loud when I'm at home, I wake myself up and think I'm being burgled. I'm like, who's there? Who there? Who there? <laughs> the camp would absolutely hate me, right? From keeping them awake all night. And I, I could never get any stars because like I couldn't drink any of that madness. I couldn't eat any of that madness. So I'd, not only would I keep everybody up, I wouldn't get any stars. They wouldn't get no food. Everyone would hate me. So I couldn't do that show. But I was a big fan of Big Brother back in the day. So and I've heard they're bringing that back. So if there was ever a, an opportunity to do like a Big Brother, I'd jump at the opportunity to do that. One of the things that I like to ask uh, people is to flip it round to ask about the ways in which their culture or heritage has kind of positively impacted Britain and like life in like kind of what what is a lot of people's adoptive homeland. I think for you, one of the things that I'm especially interested in is Caribbean footballers because you do the footballers football podcast, which is amazing, and there's the John Barnes link. I wonder for you, is that something that you think of as as being a lasting legacy of kind of where you're from and how it's kind of infiltrated and improved British life? I think so. I think sport in general has had a massive influence on on the world, let alone the UK. In our house, when I was growing up, when I was quite young, there used to be athletics on the TV on a Friday night. It used to come on, it used to start on ITV, and then halfway through the the content, halfway through the footage, it would jump over to Channel 4. Jim Rosenthal used to be the presenter. And we used to watch, you know, Daley Thompson, Linford Christie, Colin Jackson, Tessa Sanderson. They were the heroes in our house. My house was more more geared towards athletics than it was to football. I was the one that kind of, you know, flew the flag for football as I got a bit older. But our heroes when I was really young were athletes like track and field. So, you know, Linford Christie, I remember watching the 1992 Barcelona Olympics, the the 100 metre final with Linford and my whole family just in the living room, silent as the gun was about to go. And for those 10 seconds... The gun goes, we just all exploded, like jumping around, screaming, cheering. And then when he crossed the line and won that gold medal, we just absolutely erupted with elation. And it's a memory that I will hold 
dear for like, the rest of my life. And Linfa Christie was one is is still one of my heroes. Another story I tell you, like when I look at other countries, and it's changing now, but more so when I was growing up. If you look at the German national football team, or you look at the Italian national football team, or just football teams around the world, it's one race, it's one color, it's it's one complexion. And I always used to look at the England football team, and there'd always be a black player in there, though there'd always be a mixed race player in there, or you know there'd always be something that I could go, okay, well that looks like me. So it's it's okay if I support England because because we're there as well. That's changing now around the world. You see black players pop up all over the place, don't you? Which which I absolutely love. But you're right, sport is such a massive thing we've given to the UK. And I'm, I'm, re- I'm really proud of that. That thought of you and your family in that living room and the, you know, the pin drop silence and then the eruption is, is something that I think we can all relate to and just, just speaks to this idea of, of being multiple things and, and of warmth and of collective kind of power and happiness. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, man. Thanks, Jimmy. I've loved it. Thank you so much, man. I am really just buzzing after that, to be honest, because Ricky was fantastic. He talked about right away his kind of his understanding of his own family's history and how Caribbean culture fed into that, his passion for Croydon, unlikely as that sounds, and, and just his insight into the power that kind of sports people can have in like all of our lives and talking about athletics. I think it's a really specific thing that, you know, to be able to kind of cheer loudly for Linford Christie with your whole family is such a powerful thing when you are second generation Caribbean immigrant living in the UK and that was just an absolutely beautiful moment that he relived with us. He was great. He was an absolute gentleman. So that's it for another episode of Where's Home Really? Please join me next time for more stories about family and culture, food and belonging. And we'd love you to follow Where's Home Really on your favourite podcast platform. It's always great to hear your thoughts, so do leave us a comment or a review. From Podomo and Listen, this has been Where's Home Really, hosted by me, Jimmy Famarewa. The producers are Tayo Popula and Aidan Judd. The executive producers for Podomo are Jake Chudnow and Matt White. And for Listen, is Kelly Redmond. Until next time. Listener.